Welcome to the seventh episode in a podcast series brought to you by the International Arbitration Group at Denton's. With more than 40 partners and 120 lawyers, our group is widely recognized globally, trusted by corporations, states, and high net worth individuals for their most challenging international arbitration matters. In the last episode, we looked at virtual hearings and some tips and points for procedural orders to assist in running a virtual hearing. Today, we want to look at disputes in the renewables sector and international arbitration. My name is Amy Klesner. I'm head of the arbitration group in Germany, and today I'm co-hosting with Rachel Howey. Rachel is the co-lead for the arbitration group in Canada. Thanks, Amy. Today, we're pleased to welcome our partner, Richard Depoer. Richard is a partner with Dentons based in Madrid with a particular focus on disputes in the renewable sector. Richard, we're now several months into the pandemic and seeing momentum increase across the renewable sector. What specifically are you seeing in that regard? Well, Rachel, from a general perspective, the sector is actually in quite good health, despite the economic disruption caused by the pandemic. If you look at the backdrop um, of the renewable energy sector, of course, there's the Paris Agreement and the energy transition commitments that states have signed up to and renewables have the potential to fully decarbonize energy production. The International Energy Agency, for example, has calculated that offshore wind on its own has the potential to generate more than 18 times the current global electricity demand, which is around 20% of total energy, final energy consumption. So essentially one segment of the renewables industry could meet our global energy needs more than three times over. But it's, it's not just potential, there's also the resilience of the sector and this month's World Economic Outlook from the IMF predicts a 4.4% contraction of the world economy. But despite this, utility-scale renewable energy generation has in fact increased compared to last year, and so has demand. And this stands in stark contrast to the rest of the energy sector, which has been hit very hard. Now, a number of energy companies, such as Iberdrola and investment funds, like the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, which is made up of the world's largest uh, pension funds and insurers, have announced plans to accelerate the renewable energy pipelines as part of a green e economic recovery. And even some of the major oil companies, for example, Repsol, Spain's largest oil company, was the first oil and gas company to assume at the end of last year, the goal of net zero emissions by 2050. So the level of interest in a way is unsurprising given that around 51 trillion US dollars in cumulative investments in renewables and electrification and infrastructure is needed between now and 2050, according to IRENA, the International Renewable Energy Agency. So Ristard, that's great news on the investment side, uh, but moving to disputes, what type of disputes do you see arise in this area? Well, Amy, I think there are two broad categories of disputes in this area, and the first is investment disputes. So renewable energy investors are protected from unfair treatment by the host state in a number of ways. There could be a multilateral investment treaty, a bilateral investment treaty, or a renewable energy investor in certain circumstances can sign a contract with the host state. But in any event, there will be protections afforded in these agreements um, to the investor. And an example of a relevant international investment treaty is the Energy Charter Treaty, which is a multilateral treaty that creates a legal framework for energy trade, transit, and investment among the member states. And it's agreed to by over 50 countries and the EU, and the UK will still be part of it after it leaves um, uh, the EU, which has already officially happened. And the ECT 
contains substantive protections such as protection from unreasonable or discriminatory measures, as well as provisions regarding expropriation and compensation. Now, the link between this and disputes is that the ECT allows investors to file claims against member states when they breach these substantive rights. And international arbitration is the most commonly chosen dispute resolution method for these claims. Essentially, there are three options in terms of international arbitration under the ECT. There's ICSID, the International Centre for the Settlement of Investment Disputes. There's an ad hoc arbitration option under the UNCTAD rules. And there's also arbitration under the Stockholm Chamber of Commerce rules. Now, given the, its energy focus, the ECT is particularly relevant to renewable energy disputes as it's currently being revised, in fact, to provide for stronger protections on the clean energy transition. And there's also going to be more established rules on what constitutes an indirect expropriation by the host state. And importantly, a draft proposal is actually being submitted by the European Commission, and that still permits investment arbitration as part of this amendment. Now, in the past, and I can, I can speak to this being based in Madrid, countries like Spain have demonstrated how claims can proliferate when sweeping changes are made to these investment regimes. Spain has been faced currently with over 50 arbitrations as a result of a rolling back or elimination of subsidies agreed in 2007. And roughly a third of those arbitrations out of the 20 or so resolved have seen awards in favor of renewable energy investors on the basis of an unreasonable failure to protect the investors' legitimate expectations. But other awards have focused on a failure to guarantee a reasonable profit, for example, or the disproportionate nature of the changes. Um, and I think it's also important to mention COVID and the legislative and regulatory changes brought about by COVID, because this is increasing political risk. And a good example recently is a threatened claim against Mexico for restrictions placed by the state on renewable energy production, allegedly due, due to a fall in demand, and so an excess of electricity caused by the pandemic. And this feeds in to an issue which is uh, really quite important at the moment, and that is the topic of constraint payments to renewable energy facility operators. So essentially, these are payments by the state to compensate the investors for having to shut down their plants to prevent the network or the grid being overwhelmed by an oversupply of electricity in periods of low demand. Essentially, other methods of energy production, um, including fossil fuels, are easier to feed into the grid and are not as intermittent as renewable energy in times of low demand. Again, there's the argument that the grid should be um, upgraded. Um, of course, that, that argument would be put forward by the renewable energy investor. But in any, in any case, the renewable energy investor wants to be paid for not being able to sell its production. And in certain circumstances where there are tax incentives tied to production, to also be compensated for loss of that revenue. And there are also threatened proceedings against the Ukraine by uh, UK-based investors over proposed changes to the Ukraine subsidy regime. And also in September of this year, around 44 solar investors from Europe and the Middle East have filed claims against Romania over changes to the state's renewables regime. So really, this is an area where we're seeing a real pipeline of investment disputes. Uh, and so that is a, a really important area in terms of renewables and international arbitration. What about on the international commercial arbitration side? Are there any types of disputes there that are more common in the renewable sector? So Rachel, I, th I think the most important commercial type of dispute is construction disputes. 
and this is due to the size of the assets and equipment in question and the often difficult environment in which they operate. So for example, it's more prevalent in terms of wind power than PV solar due to the size of the equipment. Um, so if we take wind energy, for example, the most common problems encountered concern cabling and foundations. And in the case of offshore wind, as farms are being developed you know, at greater distances from the coast, the transmission cables are naturally getting longer, and that increases the likelihood of defects or damage to the cables. And the interface between generation and transmission can also give rise to disputes. And there's an interesting recent English High Court decision, which concerns an alleged obligation of the seller um, who developed the wind farm to indemnify the buyer of the transmission system for damage to the export cables, the subsea export cables, where the electrical transmission link business was being sold. And also there's a growing tendency to favor shared power links, that is links that replace the single connections between the individual offshore farms and the mainland. And one of the reasons for that is it helps reduce local opposition to the onshore electrical systems which are needed to bring the power ashore. And this can give rise to disputes over the consequences of a failure, for example, of the link for the various farm operators. And as regards foundations, there's often a large number of turbines, of course, in a typical wind farm, and each will have a similar or even an equivalent foundation design. So if there's a defect, it affects all of those foundations. And of course, there are cases on this, um, mainly in the UK, which concern failure of the foundation structures in various wind farms that are sometimes due to implementation of an inaccurate design specification. And then it comes down to allocation of responsibility. And clearly precise drafting can ensure that responsibility for any of these latent defects is allocated in the appropriate manner. But if we look into the future and the size of the turbines now being developed, we, what we call supersized turbines now are eight megawatts. But in the near future, we're going to have 14 megawatt plus models. So that's to give you an example of really just how enormous these structures are becoming. And we can also say that disputes will be increasingly technology related. And what I mean by that is wind power is really a fast moving technology area, just like solar. Um, but in the wind sphere, we have, for example, wind to hydrogen, which involves using wind energy to create hydrogen to be stored and then transported. And that's a way of utilizing the excess energy production. And there's also a lot of thought going into robotics and autonomous systems technology in, in offshore wind, just like using drones and robots for wind farm repair. And that will likely be transformative, but it can also give rise to disputes by dint of its very novelty. So Richard, when considering renewables disputes, can you please talk about the choice between litigation and arbitration? Is arbitration a good fit for renewables disputes? Well, I think arbitration really is in the lead here, Amy. Apart from the investment treaty arbitration that I've discussed, if we look at most construction contracts, for example, international construction contracts, arbitration is a favored means of dispute resolution. And indeed, energy and, and infrastructure account for the largest percentage of cases in arbitral institutions, such as the ICC. And then if we delve into the other types of project documentation, international lenders on international renewable energy projects often prefer international arbitration to litigation, even though they don't tend to have a formal policy on this. And they really tend to prefer the comfort of a neutral seat of arbitration and established institutions such as the ICC, Stockholm, etc. And this is clear 
both from discussions with representatives of such institutions and the ICC report on financial institutions and international arbitration. And in fact, where arbitration clauses are not initially agreed on projects, that can stall progress as sponsors and investors see this as a significant risk. For example, there was a, a recent photovoltaic project in Egypt where the IFC and development finance institutions sought an arbitration clause with a foreign seat before proceeding with the project. And choosing arbitration in project documents is really a way of mitigating investment risk and streamlining the process, especially where lending institutions, and we're seeing this increasingly, institutions like the IFC, they're not just involved in a single asset development, but they're really creating a pipeline of infrastructure projects, which is called scaling. And the basic idea is to create a fluid tendering process as part of a robust public-private partnership model. And the latest International Energy Agency report puts energy demand in advanced economies on a declining curve in the future, with an increase to come from emerging market and developing economies, where there's also a huge potential for energy generation. Now that highlights the need for international arbitration as a trusted means of resolving disputes in these jurisdictions, which often have substantial project or political risk. And I think a final issue that militates in favor of the choice of arbitration is the complexity of the dispute. Obviously, where the dispute is a simple monetary claim, likely to be a simple monetary claim, following borrower's default, lending institutions understandably can look to litigation in England or New York. But beyond those really simple factual matrices, I think that it makes a lot of sense to look to international arbitration where, of course, you can also take advantage of the expertise of the arbitrator. Thank you very much, Richard, for sharing these insights with us. Our next session will be posted in a few weeks. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see dentons.com for legal notices. Mm -hmm.